0: Hi everyone, this is Bob Whitaker, and welcome to the History Respawn podcast. Today's episode features an interview I recorded a while back with Kevin Chen, who is the lead developer of a new game called Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen is a social simulation game that follows the story of a group of immigrant teenagers trying to find their way in the world after fleeing their war-torn home country as children. The game asks the question, what happens to refugees after they get off the boat, and after the television cameras leave? What happens to these refugee communities in the generations after their exodus? How does their refugee experience shape their relationships with their new home, their home country, and each other? Four Horsemen obviously carries a lot of resonance with current events in Syria, but Kevin Chen and the rest of the development team also drew inspiration from history, in particular first hand accounts from post-World War II immigrant communities in Soviet Poland and American-occupied Okinawa. During the interview, I talk with Kevin about this research process, as well as how recent events related to the Syrian Civil War and Trump's Muslim ban have influenced the game's development. With that, here's the interview. So your Kickstarter states that this game is inspired by first-hand accounts from post-World War II immigrant communities. And those influences are really clear in playing the demo. Uh, The player characters spend their time fixing up a World War II era bunker, and there are a lot of references in this game to an old struggle that left the player characters and their families as refugees. What inspired you and your team to tell this story, and what sort of research did you undertake for inspiration?
1: Okay. So, uh, I guess this question is two parts. Um, what inspired me and what research did I do? Uh, as for what inspired me, well us really, because, um, uh, the whole team kind of pitched their experiences into the project. Um, we are an all immigrant team. Uh, this was by coincidence, not by design, but it's worked really well because everyone who has come to the project has brought their experiences as fantastic. Um, Me, personally, I have kind of an unusual background because uh, I was born in the United States, in New Jersey. Um, I spent the first 12 years of my life there, and then I spent my entire adolescence in Taiwan. So I've been kind of a – I guess you could call me a double immigrant. My experiences as a Taiwanese person in America, in the Taiwanese diaspora – and then, as a American in Taiwan and the American diaspora, like there's a lot of like really sort of fascinating similarities between those two sets of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for decades I've been thinking about what I can do with this, with this sort of unique kind of understanding. And this project kind of materialized around that. Uh, but other people on my team, I mean, uh, our lead artist Yasmin Omarata is a, a Palestinian Turkish American who grew up in um, in in florida and now lives in new york i mean between the palestinian and taiwanese experiences uh you know we we got to talking in pre-production a lot about what kind of themes we wanted to see in the game and self-determination came up over and over again it's mm-hmm. obviously you know taiwanese person palestinian person contested territories you know this feeling that like you kind of belong in this space between countries or you believe belong to a country that's Right now, in some ways, is more an ideal than a political reality. Right. Um, so yeah, all of that kind of experience kind of drove us into the game, and the kind of like not so much the the politics or the ideology of being from that background, but just what it feels to be that way. I think it's something that we haven't seen community. Communicate a lot in uh, in media about immigrants, so we kind of wanted to explore that a little bit. Like, not so much a focus on the journey itself, or you know, the story of Exodus, but what happens afterwards, what happens when you get off the boat. Um, so that's where it came from, I guess, emotionally. And then following up on that, uh, you know, I've done like about a year, you no, know, a year and a half of uh, really, really heavy research, just reading about everything from the origins of the the Maori in New Zealand who. Uh, there's some anthropological evidence they actually left Taiwan in a, a huge exodus before the dawn of history, and it survives in their myths and their, their ancient legends and their religion. Um, to uh, the story of you know South African apartheid and what happened to the white people who were left over there after apartheid. Um, to the whole like international slave trade, you know, not just in the U.S., but how it deposited like uh african uh, african populations all over the world and what their legacy is so all over the place um just kind of like picking up information about the immigrant experience in general wherever i can find it and just percolating it into this distilling it to this one unified sort of thing it's been it's an impossible task but <laughs> we've kind of like trying to do our best
0: no, I I think you all did a really excellent job, and I love the the premise of the game because you know, like you said, it focuses on, you know, what happens to refugee communities, you know, after they're refugees, you know, what 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 happens to them after, you know, the kind of focus of international aid and attention uh, is off of them, and you know, I think it's interesting in the game you play, you know, as the children of refugees, you know, most of whom were were born outside of their their parents' country of origin, and they're not really old enough to remember uh, what brought them to this this new land. Uh, and you know, you got one of the characters describing this state of being by saying, "quote Our destinies were moved by people we never knew, uh, by events we don't understand." Um, and you know, I think it makes a lot of sense that you would tell that type of story given your own personal experience. Uh, with, you know, being part of this diaspora community and, you know, I guess that's shared with the rest of the members of your team?
1: Well, uh, I think this is also why it was really important for us, for the characters to be teenagers. Uh, I didn't really realize this uh, until working on this project, why so many video games um, star teenagers. Because teenagers are in sort of that liminal space between uh, being children of, I guess, like, pure experience. We're new to the world and, and to the, the universe of the world and exploring it as a player does. Um but they also have a little bit of understanding of how it works and they're trying to find their place in it. Uh, so like they kind of know how to get around, but they like don't really understand what it's all for. And that's a really like interesting place to put these kids because I feel like they're there's so much that's been done with the immigrant experience in terms of adulthood, in terms of looking back and, you know, tracing ideologies and origin stories and exploring cultures and so on. It's all about, like, politics and identity and uh, all this, like, really heady stuff. I really wanted to, like, because the the player, you know, since this is is a video game, is exploring these issues firsthand, um, I really wanted to put in, like, someone who's kind of uh, an ignorant, like – a a wise but ignorant person you know Mm -hmm. someone who like knows the situation they're in but is just beginning to understand why things are the way they are and the sort of like horrible revelations they they come across across the way like i thought that would be a a good place to, to take it
0: yeah i think it i think it works well because you get to empathize with the character because you too don't really understand or at least most players wouldn't really understand this experience Whereas I think if, if it was coming from, you know, if the player character was somebody who was much older and was kind of more wizened and, you know, and had had this long experience of being an immigrant and being in a diaspora community, then it would, the game would feel much more like a lecture almost, you know, just kind of unloading a lot of information on you.
1: Yeah. And that's something that, um, in a lot of news games and like serious games that we admire, actually, this has been sort of a problem. Um, we actually took a lot of inspiration from games like uh, this war, of, this war of mine, and from the uh, old Polish uh, pen and paper RPG, which won a lot of awards, um, The Great Ranks, uh, in and they're a really novel approach, uh, I think, of focusing more on what it feels like to be there, the sort of human experience of like, what does it, what is it like to be this person? What is it like to have this be a part of who you are and have to live with this every day, as opposed to just sort of like. Pages and pages of expedition about, like, oh, this is how this war went and, you know, this is – these people were slaves and now they're free and so on. I mean I find that, like, curiously, even when you talk to kids about their own, like, heritage and history, if they haven't lived long enough to really, like, internalize what that means to them. It's really just, like, you know, going to – your going to a history class in middle school and just being like, okay, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg was fought, you know, between such and such, and, um, you know, World War II was about, you know, so on, and the cotton gin had this role in the development of slavery. But it's not until you have those sort of moments in your life that you're like, this is, wow, this is really relevant to me. Like, this is why things are the way they are, um, that that history becomes interesting. And so I wanted that to be the starting point for the characters in this game, not so much like... Like the worst thing we can do is just to have like two people like talk about their past like for hours and hours and hours. Like nobody <laughs> wants to play a game like that.
0: Well, I could think of some historians who would love to play a game like that, but yeah, I think the, <laughs> the average player probably would not really be engaged by that. And you know, I think I yeah, you know, I think that kind of subtle critique critique of uh, more serious games uh, is definitely you know baked into this demo. I mean, you've got. Uh, the characters, they occasionally have to go to school uh, and, you know, in school, they're uh, subjected to bullying, not only by other students, but also by the teacher who is kind of force feeding them uh, this, uh, you know, kind of established historical narrative about their home country and about the war that gave birth to them being refugees. Uh, and then also you've got, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but you go and occasionally meet with uh, this character's father. Uh, and he's kind of also feeding you with uh, a lot of this older narrative that the kids are kind of just now becoming uh, you know aware of, but uh, they don't really understand it yet and they kind of have a hard time uh, you know uh, understanding their parents as a result.
1: Well, the way that I uh, the way that I've long framed sort of like the differences between the American and uh, Chinese, Normal Western and and Eastern, I guess, uh, views of history, uh, at least how I learned them, um, in the United States and in Taiwan, um, Americans tend to see themselves as um, a sort of like a a new a new book in a anthology. Like you have this sort of context for where you came from and you know where your descendants are going, but you yourself are self-contained, and your story begins at your birth and ends at your death, and everything you do. Uh, in between, it's a matter of, you know, your own agency and things that happen to you. Um, and Chinese people tend to think of their own lives, or at least their relation to history, as like um, new chapters in a single book, mm-hmm. where the moment, be- even before you're born, so much of what is going to shape your life is already in motion, and you're just sort of carrying along the story that's that probably predates history. It goes back to the dawn of time, um, and you just have this, like bit part where you like walk on uh you do your thing and you die and the world goes on without you but uh well not so much without you but it's like you've you've passed the torch that that torch like predates you like forever um and i i kind of wanted to explore that a little bit in that like when you have a, when you pass a kid the torch he doesn't know what it is because everyone sort of defaults at this perspective of like you know hey this is me and here's all this like other stuff that has nothing to do with me, and it's like uh, that particular arc you were talking about. Um, when uh, with famine and his father, you know, father, his father is telling him all this like new stuff that's happening, and he just sort of like, I mean, you could choose what to do in that situation. Most of it involves some variant of tuning out, because you know, as a player, you have no context. It's sort of like, oh, you're telling me about this war between these two countries and all these like you know political embargoes and you know sanctions and diplomatic stuff. Like this is all nonsensical to somebody who doesn't know what it is and it's not until uh late in that storyline when the effects of that really start to affect family personally that he's like holy shit this is real <laughs> like, yeah. and it's happening to me like i have a place in it too and now i'm thrust into this role without like without a real sort of deep appreciation of what it means
0: yeah i mean it's a pretty powerful feeling and definitely you know you get that sense in the game and you know i think Over and over again, and this is another quote from your demo, you know, these characters feel as though they're tourists uh, in their own country, Uh, and they feel this way because they're often the focus of state surveillance, Uh, they feel like they can't debate politics, uh, because there's a risk they might get into trouble, Uh, and they also, like I said earlier, they experience a lot of ridicule, uh, ridicule at school from classmates and from teachers. Uh, And as one of the characters puts it, the only option that seems to be available to them in this context is uh, to either live their lives as nobodies, right, nobodies in the sense that they can't talk about or they can't freely express what they feel, or instead they die as terrorists. So given current events, uh, it's kind of hard not to agree with this kind of prognosis, and. I'm wondering if you could tell us, tell the audience, you know, to what extent have recent events regarding the Muslim ban and the Syrian refugee crisis informed the development of this game?
1: Well, I've been following along with um, the the war in Syria uh, pretty much since the beginning of like, this game's development, which uh, coincides actually with... I think around the end of the Arab Spring, and you know when things really started to go south. I been following that really closely, even to the point of going on Facebook and um, looking up a restaurant in Aleppo, um, and you know looking at their their sort of like sort of like Yelp reviews and seeing you know what people talk about and you know why people go to restaurants in the middle of a war zone and um, what it feels like to leave, like. That has been an unusually productive source of of research for me because, like seventy percent of the people who leave comments like on those threads aren't even in Syria. They're people who were in Syria and left and got homesick, and so like me, they like they went on internet looking for Syrian things, well things that be familiar to them. Um, I mean, there was someone on Wikipedia a while ago who uh, very chillingly uh, was. He had this whole sort of like category of like snack places, I think in uh, in Raqqa before ISIS took it over, and it was like it was like almost like a, a Village Voice or like Timeout New York kind of restaurant guide of like, oh, here's the best place to get like this kind of like dessert, or here's the best place to get like a coffee cake, mm-hmm. um, knowing full well that none of these places existed anymore, mm. and. I was really interested in sort of the subtext behind the, that, that sort of nostalgia and homesickness um, that colors how first-generation immigrants um, feel about being involuntarily displaced and, and moved somewhere else. And framing that into the narrative that is often pushed upon immigrants by the receiving culture, which is sort of like, how can we invite these people into our traditions and give them something to feel you know, sentimental and warm and nostalgic about? Uh, Which generally reaches the second generation a little better because they don't have those emotional attachments yet, right? Uh, So we've played around with that a lot in the game and it's it's a hard line to draw to Try to make the game like relevant without having it be like specifically about like all the stuff that's happening now Um, I mean that's why all the countries in the game are fictional even though they're clearly based on uh, real-life geographies real-life locations Mm -hmm. Um, because, like, I mean, for example, uh, the country that is now uh, the the Republic of Levant, which is this huge hodgepodge of, you know, this uh, this ironic sort of like, oh, you know, the Middle East is finally at peace, but the it's it's a product of this like ridiculous like international coalition of all these people who like clearly don't agree with each other. So the name of the country is like. Uh, like a, a hundred characters long. It's like <laughs> really, really absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and they speak both Arab, uh, Arabic and Hebrew in a way that doesn't make any sense, like deliberately. Um, so this is a, this sort of like reflecting on a history. That country was originally called uh, Daesh, as a pun on Daesh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's just like this horrible fascist, like uh, Islamic uh, totalitarian state. And I ran this by Yasmin, because uh, Yasmin Palestinian and uh, understands the, the Middle East on a cultural level in a way that I certainly never could. And Yasmin put a stop to this. uh, Yasmin was like, okay, if you do this, this game is going to be about the Syrian civil war. It's not going to be about the experience. And a lot of these sort of universal truths you're going to talk about are going to get lost. Um, So yeah, it's a tough balance to strike, to make it feel relevant to people, but also make it feel kind of connected to reality in a way that doesn't date it to, like, this is the game about 2016 and not about people in general. And uh, considering that we want to focus on the human experience and not so much, like, particular historical events that can so easily be sort of, like, closed off and talked about in isolation. Like, you think about the legacy of the Holocaust and how people bring it up for um, an analogy to pretty much every great act of suffering that happens, uh, every huge act of human suffering, and how this is... In some ways kind of like hobbled our ability to talk about these events like in their in their own right you know what makes them uniquely horrible and what how the circumstances are difference simply because the historical memory of the Holocaust is so powerful that it overshadows everything like it color it contextualizes everything mm-hmm. in ways that I think people who live through the Holocaust you know often or I not I think I've seen that people who live through the Holocaust are often offended by so uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess more directly in answer to your question, we have been paying very close attention to the news every day, but it's been a struggle to not date the game by making it specifically about what's happening in the news and more about the kind of things that that would happen in the news.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a wise decision, like you said. I mean, you don't want to date the game. You know, a lot of the reason why the game, I think, is successful, at least in the demo, uh, is the fact that, you know, it, it feels like the characters could come from anywhere, right? It feels like their experience, uh, at least, a, you know, being a second generation uh, immigrants, of being, uh, you know, from this refugee population, uh, it feels like that's an experience that could be shared, uh, you know, out of anywhere, out of any time period, rather than kind of, uh, you know, placing it or setting it within a specific uh, situation, particularly with with everything that's going on uh, now with Syria uh, and other refugee crises. So I think that that's the right decision uh, on the whole, even if it maybe isn't as uh, specifically historical, uh, you know, as maybe some other games might be.
1: Well, uh, one of the reasons uh, why I guess we had the audacity to take a, a couple of plots and kind of slot them into... Um, I think right now there are 10 different countries. There's going to be more by the time the game is out. We're still mm-hmm. working on a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are people who go up to me and are like, hey, Kevin, you do realize every, like, immigrant experience is, is different, right? You know, it's like you can't just tell the same story with 10 different countries and be like, like, this is, this is the same. You know, it's kind of like makes, it, it feels kind of reductionist in a way. And I definitely hear that. I, I hear that criticism. But the whole point of the game is taking the sort of like brave step of saying like, even in acknowledging that um, all these experiences are unique and that you know even each person's uh, experience as an immigrant within the same diaspora is different, um, and you know we do explore these like as sort of the pleasure of you know, playing through the game again. You know, suddenly some options are missing or right. like, some cultural details are different. Um, oh, but the commonalities are. Are real, and the more research I do, and the more stories I, I read, and in, you know, interviews I, I listen to, with people who have gone through this in some way or other, you know, throughout history, it's uncanny how some things really do stay the same, or really feel resonant or familiar, at least, between uh, all immigrants. And this, it's shocking to me how this like transcends a lot of the time. Even think huge things like, um, you know, is is the immigrant group uh, a member of an ethnic majority or an ethnic minority, mm-hmm. like in their new country or home, their old country? Um, are they wealthy or are they poor? Did they come willingly or were they coerced? Did they flee war or did they like, um, or like you know, famine or whatever, or did they come in search of opportunity? Like, even taking into account all these differences, there is a sort of common core that's the same, and there's a couple elements that make that true. One being that most countries really don't know what to do with immigrants. And I feel like this is the the key to a lot of hostility that people see with them. It's like most communities are in some way sort of like specialized and self sustaining. It's like you've got a small town, you've already got like you know a a, a baker and like a grocery store. Um, you've got somebody who like fixes shoes or whatever. Everyone's got their own sort of like little place. So every time you have someone who like new comes to the community, the community has to find a a, a place for them. Mm-hmm. And when you have, like, just a couple of people, this is relatively easy because they're like, okay, you know, what kind of new experiences and uh, skills and, and values do you bring to the table and we can find a way to slot you in? But when you have an exodus, and you have this huge migration of people, suddenly you have all these countries that are absolutely overwhelmed. Like, even when they're tolerant of immigrants and, you know, they want to welcome them and find a place for them, um, it, it can be a struggle because, uh, Suddenly, this new group of immigrants is not just you know one or two people assimilating into new community, their community of their own. Right. And those those immigrants themselves have to discover like well, what place do we have in society, and um, how how deeply do we want to assimilate, and how closely do we want we want to cling to our old traditions. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's an act of uh of of founding. It's like. I think this is something a lot of people tend to not appreciate. It's like when you have like a huge group of like say Chinese people like you know come off in like in California and they start like a chain of um I don't know like factories or you know restaurants or whatever, or when you have like the uh, the Indian community in uh, New York City. Suddenly like open like dozens of Dunkin Donuts Mm or the the Yemenis coming in and opening like, you know, hundreds of fried chicken places Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's some very deliberate decisions that that community is making there. It's like uh, trying to find uh, a role for that community or like a way that they can be seen which doesn't exist in their parent community like um there's a great article in the New York Times about the a lawsuit between uh, the founder of Kennedy Fried Chicken, uh, which is you know, a Afghan-run like a fried chicken place in New York, and Kentucky Fried Chicken, and um, it's the, the 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 guy filing the suit, you know, who now has himself, hundreds of imitators all over New York City, New York City, all run <laughs> by, um, Afghans and Yemenis, um. It, like, the, the interview he has with the reporter ends with a the, with the punchline. He's like, Afghans don't even eat fried chicken. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like that's sort of like what they're known for in the city, and it's like not even a, a part of – well, it was a part of their culture when they left. Um, but I think it's also like – and we explore this a little bit further in the game later on. I mean not so much in the demo, um, but like these diaspora communities by uh, – Kind of like adapting to their new environment and finding a new place in it, um, and forming new identities and, and changing and evolving their culture. Often they diverge from their parent culture in ways that are, uh, you know, often tragic and lead to conflict mm-hmm. between the people who stayed in the old in the old country and the people who moved to the new country. Um, and you see this everywhere. I mean, like the whole Old Testament is just like this happening over and over again to the yeah. Jews. <laughs>
0: um and, famous modern example would be east and west germany
1: oh absolutely or like the the big experience of liberia of uh, former uh african slaves in america coming right. back to africa
0: yes absolutely yeah
1: so um i mean earlier uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh well you commented a bit about how the game talks about how these kids don't really feel like they belong everywhere that Everything about who they are and, you know, where they live is is sort of constructed for them. Um, This is one of the things that is pretty common across the immigrant experience, like regardless of all these other contextual factors. Uh, And that feeling, that weird feeling of alienation where you don't really own anything, like you've kind of inherited your parent culture and you're sort of a guest in your new culture and nothing belongs to you like nothing's yours everything is an act of cultural appropriation and you're always being called on it um that's something that like i tried to have permeate the game really really deeply and i mean it's it's really easy for a lot of people to expect from this game like oh it's a game about immigrants and they're coming from the perspective of like countries that people immigrate to uh, where they're like, oh, okay, this is about how like members of the the host country or the the new country should be like nice to you know newcomers, and that's um, all going to be about conflict between them and racists in the new country. Uh, but I I felt it was also important because of that expectation for them to also f- face like conflict from people from the old country. People who say like, hey, you're you know, right. you're not real Marianne, in. you're not a real like Levantine, you're not a real new because you abandoned your country and you know took up these foreign ways. And this this feeling of being lost, which manifests in in adolescents in particular, who are just finding out who they are, where the, it this feeling that of abandonment and betrayal by their old communities as their old communities become uh or even like the first generation of these communities, I'm disappointed in them and the dilution of their culture, um, matched with the frustration of trying to assimilate or struggling with whether or not to assimilate into their new culture and being rebuffed at every turn. So uh, it's a really lonely place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not a surprise that they would take refuge in a bunker, right? I mean, given those kind of twin pressures of, you know, both family and, you know, uh, Than the the outside world kind of putting pressure on them. It's it's not a big surprise that they would try to <laughs> they would try to take take refuge in you know basically a military a military bunker.
1: Yeah. Uh. It, it's the the bunker has been like one of those symbols that we we picked kind of uh arbitrarily at the beginning of the development and it's just become like it's allegorical meaning has become deeper and deeper (laughs) as the game has come on. Uh, It's just insane just how we've grown into it. Uh, Just the, uh, the fact that like world war two in particular is, is basically the one event that uh, the one sort of catastrophic human tragedy that virtually every country in the world has gone through. And the, the circumstances that war leading to these, the uncanny, um, Phenomenon of uh, bunkers of uh, particular, like several forms showing up all over the world. Mm -hmm. Like, I imagine, like, a an alien, like archaeologist, like thousands of years from now, after fall of civilization, be totally confused by these things. You know, like mm-hmm. there's these like square and like polygonal stone structures, like buried in in mountaintops all over the world. You know, both hemispheres, north to south, east to west. What are they for? What do they do? And they're all like built around the constraints of like, hey, our country is being invaded. Like because the whole world is at war, or we're scared that our country is going to be invaded, and we need this like particular structure that houses this particular technology—the machine gun—to uh, defend against a particular kind of military threat. Mm-hmm. I found it fascinating as a sort of like symbol for that—that that, the universality of yeah. that kind of feeling, kind yeah. of experience.
0: And I think yeah, that definitely comes through, and I mean it—it it matches up well with this kind of universality you're going for with the the refugee and the immigrant experience that you were talking about I think you know those two things together you know really really work well and I mean I also think it's interesting you know there's um, there's you know talk from uh, the parents of the player characters about uh, the refugee group the uh, immigrants being treated like uh, an invasion force and as though they can't they can't put down roots or else they'll be viewed as an invasion which has to be uh, rebuffed, And so, you know, there's definitely a feeling, I think, in the game, uh, you know, even though it's set in the lives of these teenagers and they kind of got their own, uh, you know, teenager concerns, uh, you know, about uh, uh, regular things, you know, like school and sex and uh, popular music. Uh, at the same time, there's this kind of over, overarching feel of like this is, this is like a wartime situation almost you know with the bunker with the talk of invasion uh and with this kind of ever-present fear of uh surveillance
1: there's a misconception uh, a really common misconception for people who take like socially justice minded projects that uh social justice is in a way its own sort of hobby and like i did i guess like identity politics if most of them hate that phrase is also like a an interest, something that people spend time on because they enjoy it, um, whereas you go talk to a lot of people who are, you know, for uh, immigrant rights or civil rights or, or or like the rights of any marginalized group, and um, you'll find that like nobody really. Enjoys this stuff <laughs> it's, it's really unpleasant. It's unpleasant to have to deal with mm-hmm. uh, marginalization and oppression and and uh, all the baggage of history. And you know, a lot of the people who suffer through uh, being a little different in society in general um, really wish they didn't have to deal with this stuff. They devote all, all this time and energy to it because they're forced to. Because right. the alternative is just sort of like suffer quietly through it and have nothing change. And I. Mm-hmm. The way that I have the kids sort of be in in the game, um, none of the kids are particularly interested in politics. They're not ideologues. They're not the vanguard of any sort of ideology or movement, even though um, both their 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 parents and um, their new neighbors kind of expect them to be because so they see these kids as you know symbols as representing a uh, you know an idea or a nationality or whatever but they're human beings and human beings kind of want to get a, like uh, they just want to get on with their lives right. and so just like any other teens you know their their primary interests are are things like that you know like uh, pop music video games you know making friends uh, you know gossip about what their friends are doing um and you know other lesser extent also their futures and you know what they're going to do with their lives and so on um all of this like identity stuff is thrust upon them and they can't help but deal with it there's this sort of like and this sort of confrontation like in now that i think of it pretty much every major story arc in the game it, this is a theme where they're just going about their lives just trying to be well, not trying to be. but it's just being teenagers. And then suddenly history comes in and bites them and they have to fight it. <laughs> uh, so the fact that they have to deal with this at all is sort of tragic in its own right, yeah. uh, which is why I'm – like a lot of people have come to me and – well, friends talk to me in pre-production. They express their concerns that this could become a kind of like uh, – for lack of a better phrase, a kind of oppression tourism. Mm. <laughs> this kind of feeling that, like, um, oh, you know, I'm like a sheltered like person who's never had to deal with any of this. I'd like to, you know, fantasize about being, you know, a refugee whose life is who's full of danger and you know has to go find themselves and have mm. this exciting backstory. And you know, I've deliberately tried to avoid that. Uh, the writing of this game this feeling that like having to deal well having to deal with this stuff in real life honestly kind of sucks and um it's a it's a burden. it's something that people kind of like they deal with because they have to and um, the conflict of the game is sort of structured around that that this is a this is' a, a sort of adversary that you're facing or you know something that you have to like, overcome and struggle through and not like, you know, pulp adventurer, like, I'm the exotic hero with a unusual background, and, you know, here's your immigrant Mary suit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you manage that really well. I mean, I think if you wanted to go for that kind of thing, if you wanted to go for that kind of, um, you know, direct social justice over the top, uh, you know, kind of hitting you over the head with social commentary trope you would have you would have dated this as uh, you know playing as the refugee character like right? the initial refugee experience uh, but instead you've got it with some distance you know this is the second generation group which i think is uh, for my money at least is a much more interesting perspective uh, and it's something that i was surprised by uh you know with well, the game one of
1: the reasons why uh we felt, like, not just me, like, the team talked about this, but uh, why we felt a second-generation focus was so important. Um, this doesn't come across as much in the demo, because the demo focuses on two car- characters in particular um, who are from a particularly tragic background. But the four protagonists <laughs> do have a sort of, like, mix of different, like, immigrant backgrounds, which kind of, like, are meant to, in some small way, represent a little bit of the diversity of the immigrant community. Mm-hmm. Um, where like, for example, you have War, who is the only arguably first generation immigrant. Uh, the War broke out when she was a small child mm-hmm. and, uh, she actually remembers the old country and, um, the trauma of being taken from a peaceful life in her, uh, in the old country it shapes a lot of who she is.
0: Right. The um, teddy bear, often bear story. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the whole like uh, the whole thing with the teddy bear, especially, and and everything that teddy bear represents, uh, you know, this like lost security of uh, this normal childhood that's been shattered. Um, her younger sister, uh, who's also a major part of that storyline, on the other hand, um, was born on one of these these sort of like detainment camps that every country seems to have, or a processing camp. That uh, every country seems to have on its borders when there's a huge migration where like, okay, you know, we can't let you in the country yet, but you stay here in this like prison-like compound until we figure out what to do with you. Um, So even before the game starts, there's already been some, some success in that like, oh, okay, they made it through the system and now they're in this country. But her experience is like... Arguably, she's spent her entire life in the new country because she was born, like, literally on the border, and, and this shapes a lot of who she is. But then you look at the boys, um, <laughs> who, like, you have one who's, like, he's – you see this in, in uh, first wave immigrants a lot, where, like, um, you have a, a father and his young, young son, like, forge out ahead first, you know, to see if it's safe. Um, and if there's work and it's sustainable and if they can find a, a foothold in their new, their new community they call home and they're, just, they're like, okay, and the rest of the family can come over now. They're sort of like the scouts to make sure like, um, that the new country is livable and um, I mean that's the idea of course but often what actually happens is you know, things in the old country gets worse and mm-hmm. the family gets torn apart um, and then so you have these men or like these young men um, stranded from their their wives and their their daughters um, and, and their sisters um, in the new country uh, with no contact whatsoever with their families like this, this family completely split in half. Um, so yeah you know we have you know one person who's sort of in that situation um, although because you know he comes prepared and with some resources I guess financially he's a little better off he's a little more savvy about the, the new country than the his refugee friends are. And then you have Pestilence. <laughs> Pestilence isn't talked about much in the demo at all. He's a huge focus in one of the, um, the larger arcs in the game. Mm. Um, but Pestilence is fascinating in that he's normal. Like, he's born in the New Country to um, relatively well-off parents who came to the New Country in search of opportunity um, long before the war or whatever of Kazdrakov- catastrophic event like drove his friends into refugee hood um he's deeply deeply assimilated and very second generation like he barely speaks his uh native tongue at all mm. and he's just there you know he's like he, he has a he serves a really valuable purpose for the uh, the rest of the kids as a sort of like their their guide to the new country and um I mean notably he's the only character who can consistently like Score like whatever the illegal drug of the country is, <laughs> like in like, cocoa's weed. Mm-hmm. Because he's the only kid who can get away with it, and because of this, because he's better assimilated, uh, he's given uh, a lot more slack than a lot of the other characters. He gets away with a lot of the uh, things that the other characters would be able to get away with. But because he's so familiar, nobody trusts him. Mm. He's like the source of all these like stereotypes that all the other kids have foisted upon them, and. This becomes a point of conflict between him and the other kids. So just this this mix, you know, you've got uh, a refugee, you've got a sort of like like not quite refugee, but someone who like barely escaped the fire. Um, You have the the vanguard, and you have the rich kid, Mm -hmm. or not the rich kid, but you know the
0: the 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 respectable kid.
1: Yeah, the respectable kid, Um, and. the differences between their the circumstances brought them out, mm. like play in a very interesting kind of dynamic as as they do in real immigrant communities.
0: Yeah, well, wow. I mean, I really enjoyed the experience of playing the demo. I really can't wait to play the full version. And you said earlier that you're maybe a few months away from wrapping up development?
1: Yeah. Um, we are well we we just entered QA. Uh, our first really sort of major playtest is actually the day after tomorrow wow Um, and uh, there's still some like there's still a a couple of content things that we need to finish like one of the endings is missing um, and there's a lot of little things to here and there Uh, the game needs a lot of polish before it's ready otherwise it could be like you know it's gonna be out really really soon I can't promise (laughs) that that. Um, but that aside, it's like it's really exciting to see this game come from like a, a pipe dream or this like you know, Cool bunch of, a bunch of kids like sitting around, you know Shooting the shit talking about what they would do if they made a game like this and then having this be an actual thing And I can't wait for this to be out there for people to be playing it
0: Awesome. Well, uh, Kevin, thanks again for joining me. I'll let you get back to your work I'm sure you're probably gonna get off here and just go right back to it. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the History Respawn podcast. For more information about Four Horsemen, check out the game's Kickstarter page, which includes a demo version of the game. I'd like to thank friend of the show, Rebecca Meer for putting me into contact with Kevin and making this episode possible. If you enjoyed today's episode of the History Respawn podcast, please subscribe to our podcast feed on SoundCloud and give us a rating on iTunes. If you are feeling especially generous, Please consider supporting History Respawn through our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash History Respawn. Patrons of History Respawn are eligible to receive behind-the-scenes updates, as well as voting rights on future episodes of the YouTube series and podcast. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye for now.